Welcome to the Climate Change Winners Podcast. This is your host, Devesh Tilokani, and on this podcast, we explore how entrepreneurship can play a vital role in the climate change space. Can entrepreneurship be the answer or one of the answers to fighting climate change? We're going to find that out by talking to entrepreneurs who are running businesses in the climate change space about their journeys, learnings, failures, tactics, lessons, and much more. So whether you're an aspiring entrepreneur, a current entrepreneur, or are just generally interested in the role that entrepreneurship plays in climate change, this podcast is for you. Thank you so much for listening, and let's get right into it. On this episode of the Climate Change Miss Podcast, we chat with Jason Cardiff. Now, Jason has been involved in the heating industry as a plumber and gas fitter for over 20 years. About 15 years ago, he recognized that the heating industry needed to do more to move towards the reduction and the elimination of carbon emissions. Him to founding CleanO2, which is the world's first carbon capture soap. Some really, really interesting stuff. Of course, we go more into the business model about CleanO2, but when I personally heard the world's first carbon capture soap, I'm like, I'm definitely to get Jason on the podcast. Some of the topics we discuss in the podcast include exploring CleanO2's unique business model of how they actually capture carbon-generated by the heating industry and then use that to create soap. What exactly makes an effective business model in the climate change space? We also chat about the dark side of entrepreneurship, away from all the glamour and the fame and you know how everyone tends to, at least in, in the current society that we live in, tends to glamorize entrepreneurship. We talk a little bit about the other side of it um, and also some of the challenges of growing an ever-expanding team. Incredible insights here. Jason is, Jason is a really experienced individual and a great guy, and it was a pleasure, pleasure chatting with him. So really looking forward for you listening to this. So thank you for listening as always, and let's get right into it. So thank you, thank you so much, Jason, for coming on the Climate Changepreneurs podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to this. Definitely, definitely, definitely. So I know that your journey with CleanO2 is incredible and definitely want to go more into it, but maybe let's go right at the start, um, because I know the idea of CleanO2 links to your previous sort of job that you worked at. So maybe how did the idea of CleanO2 and CarbonX come in the first place? Sure. Uh, yeah, so I'm, you're correct. My, my, in my previous life, I was a, uh, a Red Seal uh, plumber and gas fitter. Uh, I spent a lot of time in mechanical rooms working as a, as a plumber and gas fitter, working on heating systems, repairing them, keeping them running. I, you know, I worked on heating systems that were as old as a, you know, a 1923 cast iron sectional boiler, uh, in fact, that boiler is still running today to modern heat pumps and uh, and other uh, steam boilers. So pretty much any type of heating appliance you can think of, I probably dabbled in uh, and worked on in some some fashion. Um, and around 2005, I had noted that there was a fair bit of conversation in in the public forums and in the media about uh, concerns over carbon emissions. And, you know, 70% of the market share of the heating appliances in Canada are running on natural gas. So, of course, when you combust natural gas, the byproduct of that is, is CO2, which is the, the thing that everybody's concerned about. So um, it kind of piqued an interest in wondering, well, you know, if, if CO2 is a concern and government agencies and industry is going to take steps to reduce that, uh, that point source of emission, what did that mean for my career? If, if you know, I wanted to be prepared to know that if, if these appliances that I were working on were going to change, 
what were they going to change into? Most of the conversation, though, that I found uh, through the, these various channels were all focused on energy production and transportation. What are we doing with the automotive industry? And, you know, is EVs, are they the solution? And, but nobody really seemed at the time to be talking much about these little point sources of, of GHGs. So I started asking questions. I started talking to manufacturing agencies. I started uh, talking to universities and colleges. It's fine to ask them, like, where, where is my career going? What do I need to train for, for, these, for the change that is inevitable? And nobody seemed to really have a clear answer. It was really remarkable that, you know, we had all of this concern going on around carbon emissions, but nobody really seemed to be addressing the, the carbon emissions directly other than maximizing efficiency. So going, taking, you know, your your boilers or your hot water tanks that are 80% efficient and maxing them out at, you know, 95, 98% efficient. And that's important. I think we should be focusing on efficiency, but it, you know, even at a 98% efficient appliance, you're still burning natural gas. Therefore you're still producing GHGs. So you've reduced it, but you're still producing it. So what are you doing with that component? And, you know, as I said, nobody really seemed to have a have a very clear answer. So I thought, okay, well, I'm an innovative guy. Um, I have come up with a few innovations in the past. I've tried to make a business out of them. Um, I, you know, I kind of got a knack for it. I like, you know, I like coming up with crazy ideas. Um, so I started asking questions of, of what, what could somebody do if they wanted to address carbon emissions directly? Uh, so we started working, um, I started looking at the chemistry involved with, with carbon capture and I realized fairly quickly, uh, you know, I know enough to get myself into trouble, um, but I'm no expert in, in, in chemistry. I've certainly learned a lot more today than along the way over the last 15 years, but I, you know, I'm by no, no means an expert. So I realized fairly early on that I needed to surround myself with people who knew more about the chemistry of carbon capture than, than I did. Um, so I went through my network of people and I met, um, a friend of mine, uh, now now a friend with and, and colleague, uh, Kathy Fisher, who uh, who her and her husband uh, were running a company called uh, Specified Technical Sales here in Calgary. They did uh, chemistry, water treatment analysis, and uh, I just went in and, and I didn't know Kathy very well at the time, um, but I just asked everybody at at this company who the biggest chemistry nerd was, and everybody unanimously pointed to to Kathy as the point source of person to ask questions. So I I said to her, I said, well, look, you know, um, I'm trying to overcome this problem. Would you be interested in, in partnering with me to to answer some questions? And one thing led to another, and um, I think originally, actually, the the solution that we were going to create, we just wanted to get our 15 minutes of fame and put it into like a popular science or a popular mechanics magazine. Yeah. Um, but it quickly developed into a business model or what we thought was a business model. So we, we just kept developing, creating, and kept finding more talent and finding more people and answering bigger questions and going to conferences and asking, you know, for help and then seeking investment. And it just, it just gradually just morphed into this, this weird business, like, uh, where we're, you know, a carbon capture company that produces soap and personal care products. Like that wasn't what we intended that to, to start out with, but that's where we ended up. So, uh, so it's been a bizarre pathway, but it's, it's been obviously very successful and, uh, you know, we're grateful for the help that we've had along the way. Definitely. Definitely. And that journey by itself is incredible. I think there's a couple of really interesting themes there. One of them was your ability to ask for help once that was with Kathy and then it was the different conferences that you were at. So, 
I think this is something that a lot of people struggle with because I think when they have a revolutionary idea, it's like, I want to keep it to myself mm-hmm. and kind of just like troop through and trying to figure it out. How, how much of it? Yeah. How much of an impact was that? Like asking for help over there? Oh, it was, it was night and day. So I'm prior to clean O2 or the idea of creating a, a micro scale carbon capture system. I had done a few things from, uh, you know, wireless pipe inspection cameras to some apparel for the workplace uh, to some other novelty items and they all failed. And in, in retrospect, I think the primary reason why they failed, uh, I think they were all good ideas, but I didn't ask for help. I didn't want help. I kind of thought that I could do it all myself. I could do the marketing. I could do the financial. I could do the cash raise. I could do the pitch. I could do everything. Uh, the last project I went on uh, prior to Clean 2 was that wireless pipe inspection camera. And uh, I, was, I was now wife and girlfriend helped me. And, you know, she, she'd get really frustrated with if you realize that, you know, like I'm, I'm not asking for help, but she, she would tell me repeatedly, like, you're an idiot. You could do more if you would just put your ego aside and ask for help. So that after that business failed, it was like a, it was sort of a, an epiphany of holy crap, she's right. It's yeah, you know, you need to you need to know when to ask for help. Now that's there's a there's a cost for asking help for help, and that's the one thing that I think people miss. That they're when you're when you're asking for help, you have to be willing to give up not just your idea in part, but also part of the story because they want to be part of the story as well, right? It's not just they're helping you, you're taking, you're always taking because you're wanting something. It's a give and take. If it's to be truly successful, there has to be something in it for the person that's helping you. Um, altruism will only go so far. So that's, you know, I, I worked really hard at it, making sure that everybody that I surrounded myself with got something out of it in, for themselves, fulfillment or partnership or something. There was always a, it was always a two-way street uh, with Clean 2 where that was not the case prior it was so not the case yeah yeah and i'm guessing an element of that is kind of setting your ego aside per se maybe yeah 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 uh yeah i'm so i'm 50 i'm going to be 51 this year and i can tell you that i am not the person i was when i was in my 20s uh, ego was a huge thing for me i had a huge ego my i already have a big head but you know when I, my ego gets involved it's even bigger um it took a long time and a lot of hard knocks and, and self-reflection realized that that ego is just tripping you up. So yeah, you, you really got to keep that in check. Be, be proud of your accomplishments, but don't be prideful. Don't, don't be, don't be afraid to, to recognize when you don't know something. Yeah. 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 No, it's, it's interesting. Cause like the second you say you don't know, that's when all your possibilities open up and that's, I guess, a whole like self-development sort of, sort of route there. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, I can completely relate. I'm in my 20s right now and the ego can really wreak havoc. Um, but like on my full-time job, I'm in sales. So in sales, it's so cyclical. Like one week, you're like top performer. The next week, you're like the bottom performer. And it's just that your ego goes up and then you just get smacked in the face. So I tell people, it's like, if you ever want your ego to get smacked, you should definitely go into sales. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I did uh, sales for, for a number of years before I was a plumber. Yeah, that was a... You know, um, it, it, it was like, it was cringy when, you know, when you try to pitch a customer that would come into your store, I sold, uh, um, linens. I worked for a linen company in town here years ago, many, many years ago. And, uh, you know, 
it was a commission job. And when you didn't close that sale and you knew, right, you knew right away, they weren't going to buy from you. They, you just knew, you know, you're, you're five minutes into your pitch and trying to get them to, to close the deal. And you just know they're, they're not, they're just, they're tire kicking and you're yeah. wasting your time. And yeah. it hurts because you're, you know, that's how you make your money. Exactly. Exactly. But sort of, I guess, moving away from sales um, and more towards clean or two, I guess the idea of soap, what, I mean, there's different products that you could have chosen, but why did you decide to choose soap? Maybe soap yeah. is a weird thing. It's a bizarre turn. Um, even in our name, Clean O2. I, I mean, we came up with the name Clean O2 back in 2007. Uh, it was never intended to be a cleaning company or, or it, the, the word Clean O2 came from looking at the molecule CO and saying, we want to separate the carbon from the O2. So what do we put in the middle? Like, oh, what fits in there? What looks good and from, a, from a word perspective, like clean, clean, clean O2. Let's call it clean O2. Perfect. Okay, here we go. Yeah. That's kind of where the name, but uh, at the time I had no idea we were going to be in soap. So the reason why we went into um, soaps was uh, one of the many pivots that we went through in uh, recognizing that our business model wasn't working. Originally, when we designed our business model, the idea was that we would have an inexpensive chemical that we could plug into our technology and that technology would process it and turn it into a chemical that had more value. Thought because the price point was fair, um, we could we could make a go of it. So it was a it was a it was an arbitrage play of commodities, and that's all it was. We, we plug in a cheap chemical, comes out worth more, and we sell that to industry. Uh, we learned fairly quickly though um, that the industries that buy this don't buy it in small quantities. They buy it in like they'll go through a thousand tons in a day. Right. And we're, we're producing like a, a, such a small fraction of that over the course of a, of a year uh, from one unit. Remember, these are small gas fired appliances. They're, they're, you know, the CO2 is important to be addressed, but, you know, it takes a while to, to catch up that volume. So they, anyways, the industries that we were talking to, they weren't, they weren't interested. They had no interest in buying these small, it wasn't worth their time. So we thought, okay, well, that's a big problem, right? Because if we can't, the whole business model is based on being able to sell this carbon component, not the unit that we make, but the, the recurring revenue from, from the capture process. If we can't sell that, we don't have a business. We, we, have a, we have a liability to buildings. So we had to scramble and we thought, okay, well, while we're trying to figure that out, let's see if we can create a tool that will engage the consumer to understand the building owner, the consumers, the industry to to engage them with something that's tangible, that that we can relate to, um, uh, to the to the conversation around carbon capture. And we thought, okay, well, we know that's that potassium carbonate is used uh, in the soap and detergent industry. So we you know we went through a few YouTube videos and we thought, oh, you know, soap's not that hard to make. Why don't we make some soap out of it? We had, uh, we had, uh, the, you know, if you're familiar with the fight club, yeah, of course image of, you know, the fight club, that pink bar, that, you know, Ed Norton clip, you know, only on that pink bar yeah. fight club. We thought, well, we'll do like fight <laughs> club or something. Yeah. We'll make a bar of soap. Uh, we ended up not going that Avenue just because we thought maybe there might be some copyright infringement going on there, but yeah. we made a small batch of soap with my wife and I, and it was, you know, it's nowhere near as good as the stuff we're making now, but it, it served its purpose. It demonstrated that we could do something useful with this chemical that we were producing. Uh, so it was originally just meant as a marketing tool. It wasn't meant as a sales avenue for us. We just, and I, I said very clearly to Kathy and a few other team members, like, no way in hell we're going to be a soap company. 
we're a carbon capture company. We're not a soap company. We'll make some soap to tell the story, but we, we're not a soap company. <laughs> Here we are. Uh, yeah, we've got like, you know, we've got uh, $40,000 of soap making equipment out back along with the CarbonX units that are being assembled in the back of our, our facility here. We're expanding into another 6,000 square foot bay to, to uh, increase our production of soap and detergent products. Uh, so we're, you know, we're, we became a soap company just by the, the fact that the, uh, the interest in the products just came out of nowhere. Yeah. People started buying it and then, yeah, it just sort of took off from there. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting you brought that up and, and the idea of the business model per se. Um, I know one of your articles, I think it was on uh, CBC, you mentioned that um, regardless of your position on carbon emissions, um, everybody can kind of agree on saving money and making extra cash basically. So do you think that's the key with like effective business models in the climate change space where you can combine profitability and reducing carbon emissions together maybe? For me, absolutely. Um, yeah. The one thing I would caution in that in that is that we're at this scale, it's necessary. Uh, I can't really comment on the larger scale carbon capture, but certainly in the clean tech from a consumer's good standpoint or from some sort of social implementation at this scale, I think economics uh, have to come first. Um, I mean, Alberta is a pretty tough province to pitch clean tech solutions to just because we're so heavily focused on the oil and gas sector. And that's, you know, obviously Canadian energy is important, but it's a tough sell here. Uh, so you really have to make sure that there is a strong economic argument. And I don't think that's necessarily just Alberta. I think that's North America. I think that's worldwide economics come first. It's unfortunate uh, because we are not doing a good job of looking after our planet, frankly. Um, but that's the world we live in. Economics, economics, Trump, environmentalism. Yeah, that's, that's what I've seen. There'll be people out there that probably watch your, watch the podcast. Go, oh no, you know, oil and gas guy. I'm like, no, no, it's it's just the world we live in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's. I think it goes back. Well, Miss Amar Tushrip does relate to the triple bottom line, like the profit, planet, purpose. Where if you can combine the three, sorry, profit, planet, people. I think. I'm messing yeah, this up. Yeah, profit planet people. Like people, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Vaccine, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I think if you can combine all three, um, because in the end that we do have a current system that we're in, yeah, okay, if you want, you can try to break it down, but working in the current system and trying to impact the planet in a positive way could be a much more faster way to reset destination maybe. Yeah, I, I agree. And and there's ways to do that. I, I'm not, I It shouldn't be a difficult thing. Uh, I, to, to do. I think it's just, it boils down to innovation and, and being creative and, and um, looking at things from a few different angles to, to make it work. Uh, um, I mean, if we can do it, I, I don't see why other people can't. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I know as like, just for maybe from like taking away from the climate change aspect and more in like as a startup sort of uh, phase, how has that growth been? Because I know first with yourself, then Kathy came on, then now you're you're at about ten team members currently, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Fourteen. Fourteen. There we go. Um, so how has that experience been? Like growing the team, maybe more some of the challenges along the way. It's yeah. Well, you know, uh, I went to school at the Southern Alberta Institute of Technology to become a plumber, and they do not teach you corporate affairs or. Uh, anything to do with an MBA or how to pitch a business idea. They, they don't teach you any of that. Yeah. So a lot of that had to be learned on the, on the, on the go. Um, one of the key factors 
that I think I'm kind of grateful for in having it take as long as it did. As I said, I'm, I'm a bit older now uh, is I've got a pretty strong understanding of who I am and what I'm capable of and what I'm willing to sacrifice and what I'm willing to go through to get to where I want to be. And for me, I didn't have that when I was in my 20s. I probably didn't even have it in my 30s. Now, I've met some younger people in their 20s and 30s who have that very clearly. Um, but we're not, you know, we're not all raised the same. We don't all have the same opportunities as we grow up. So it's challenging for more challenging for some than for others. But I think before anybody would want to start on this pathway, yeah. um, you really, really need to know who you are and what you're capable of doing before entertaining this, because it will challenge you in ways that you hadn't anticipated. Yeah. Yeah. And that, but that do you mean like, for example, I'm sure as an entrepreneur at times, there is a balance between, let's say, entrepreneurial life, family life, friends, it's different aspects to it. So would that be maybe the thing that how much of your family time are you willing to sacrifice for this success? Yeah, I'm not proud to say it, but I sacrificed my time with my family. You know, I, I, I can say I have a few times when I, I was not a good husband and I wasn't a good dad because I gave preference to this business that I gave, I put the priority on, on that. Um, not proud of that. Um, but you have to, you have to hold yourself accountable for that. That's a choice you have to make yeah. right for right or for wrong. It is your choice to make. Um, and that was the choice I made. So, you know, I'm still married. <laughs> I still have a, a fairly good uh, relationship with my, with my wife and with my son. Um, but there were times when it was pretty tense. Yeah, especially yeah. when you go home for two or three months without a paycheck. We've got bills to pay. So. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's the reality of it. Um, and do you feel that once you did figure out those priorities, it made a huge difference then because you were very clear with that? Because I know that a lot of people are listening to this, maybe they're in their twenties or their thirties, and for them, they're still trying to figure it out. Like either they're a lot of people are either on one extreme, like the workaholic extreme, or they're in the other extreme where it's just kind of like all play, no work. So I'm guessing like, how do you kind of find that balance for yourself? Maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. The balance is, I think it's, uh, it, it's going to be different for everybody. It depends on their circumstance, right? If you don't have a family, um, you should, if you want to make a good go of it, you should be like, it's all in, <laughs> you, know, you should be all in, uh, forego though, those, the times with your friends and your, and your family, because it's, it's going to task you. You're going to need to sacrifice that time because starting a business is a tremendously involved uh, thing. It's, it it's not for everybody. It isn't for everybody. Um, but if you're going to do it, you got to, you, you want to make a success out of it. You got to go all in. Um, fortunate enough that I, I, have a very understanding wife, a patient wife and an understanding son. But I know other people that may not have that, um, who may not have been able to, to have both uh, the wife would have left or, or whatever, right. It's uh, it's different for, 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 it's different for everybody. The experience is different. All, all like the only advice I could say is that finding that balance is just understand yourself and what you're willing to sacrifice. Yeah. You, once you have that dialed in, then you, you'll be your own guide. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, like I, I, I personally, like I, I saw it in my own family cause my dad's an entrepreneur as well and he'd be out of the house for like 15 hours a day. So I think from yeah. the ages of 
like four, I mean, since like my conscious started to develop, but I can remember things, maybe just like four to 13, I probably, I hardly saw him, you know? And then as I grew up, he spent more time because he kind of realized that, yes, I was spending 14 hours at work, but it's time to maybe give more back to them because they're teenagers and they're going to move out by 18, 19, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's rough, man. And how was your relationship with your dad now? It's incredible. Like it's, I mean, like when I was at 12, 13, I just felt like I didn't know him as well. But then as soon as he started spending way more time in the house from 13 to 18, surprisingly, like a lot of teenagers don't have the best relationship with their parents. I had a great, great relationship with my dad because I actually got to know him a lot better. And I was maturing as an individual as well. Um, yeah. And like 13 to 22 right now where I'm at, it's been like a great 10 years, I'd say, you know. That's cool. Well, I mean, they must have done something right. You seem like a pretty, pretty sharp character. So credit goes to the parents. That's for sure. I would say. they did did something right so that's good thanks 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 jason on on the team aspect i'm guessing like maybe for someone that's an entrepreneur right now in the climate change space and they are trying to grow their business what would be your advice with like sort of hiring the right people you know sort of at least at least with with their companies per se uh spend a lot of time listening less time talking more time listening genuinely engage with the people that you're trying to surround yourself with understand what are the things that motivate them, understand what their skill sets are, understand what their expectations are in terms of their, their involvement with you. Listen, really genuinely listen. Don't listen for the sake of, of looking for the opportunity to talk, but genuinely hear what they have to say and then make your choice from there. That's worked tremendously well for me uh, with everyone that's on board here is, is I've taken the time to um, try to, as best as I can anyway, to understand what do they want? What, what's in it for them? What, what are their expectations and how can I do my best to, to provide that for them? Yeah. Um, you, you'll, you'll find you, you work a lot better with people that are equally engaged uh, with, with your activities than just hiring somebody to perform a task. Yeah. I'm guessing that it goes back to like a mindset of service instead of trying to just get basically life of service. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. 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 It took me a long time to figure that out, but yeah, that's exactly it. Amazing. 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 I do want to be segue from this a little bit into sort of the industry aspect of climate change. Your TED talk, by the way, um, and I'll link in the description for the listeners as well. It was really interesting. Personally, I loved it. Um, and you mentioned that, I know we spoke about this right at the start of the podcast as well, that a lot of emphasis was placed on the carbon footprint of, let's say, the automotive industry. Of course, you got Tesla and that just kind of increases the hype even more. Um, power generation, that's a really big one as well, but not as much in the heating energy. Um does that mean that as individuals, it's like you kind of figure out which industry do you have a passion in working in and kind of go in for that? Because I'm guessing each industry has its part to play in reducing carbon emissions. You have to have a, yeah, I think you have to have a, you have to have a seed to start from, right? Yeah. You, you don't necessarily need to be an expert in that field. You remember, I've been doing this for 15 years, so it's not like, you know, I just started today. So if you'd asked me a year after I'd started, I, I'd just be a complete idiot, but <laughs> I've been doing this for a while and it's just started from a seed of understanding one specific segment of a, of a specific industry. And that was the heating industry for me, but that, so you don't need to start off with a, uh, with a wide swath of, of understanding of something, but you have to be willing to learn along. Microscale carbon capture didn't exist outside of what we were doing. When you talked about aggregated sources of greenhouse gases, people thought, well, that'll, you know, we'll just electrify everything. Or that won't be a problem because we'll stop using natural gas. And that's, you know, I can tell you from being in this industry for over 20 years, that's 
that's we've got a few decades to go through before that's going to be a reality. So what do we do today? Yeah. Uh, so for anybody that's trying to find a solution, a problem to solve, it's just does it does that problem speak to you? Does that does that matter to you? If that problem matters to you, then your expertise will just come. That will just come with time. But be patient and understand that it, it can take a lot of time. You've got to be willing to go the distance if you really truly want to have an impact on that problem. Yeah. And I'm guessing sort of with understanding and getting an expertise, let's say I don't come from like a technical background myself, as an example, maybe other listeners as well. Um, would you suggest that it's still important to understand the technical aspect of it? Or can you partner up with someone to kind of help you out? Yeah, that's and that's what I've done. It's the, anytime I couldn't do something, rather than spend a copious amount of time trying to understand it, you just find that person who you can work with who understands it better than you do and can help solve that portion of the problem. You end up building an an amazing dynamic team of people that bring something different, right? It's not two or three people all with that same skill set, all trying to solve one little segment. It's one person solving one problem, another person solving a completely different problem. By the time you get to 14 people, everybody has their own specific skill set that they bring in. And then you end up with this beautiful dynamic team where you can cross over a little bit, everybody can kind of help each other out a little bit, but everybody brings something very unique and a very unique skill set that that collectively can overcome tremendous obstacles. So yeah, you don't need to don't I for me for me uh, I choose not to spend too much time trying to become an expert in any given field of something. Uh, my trick, my thing is to look for people who are specialized in whatever problem is I'm trying to solve that's associated with the bigger picture and bringing them in so that we can all work together. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, because I'm guessing it's like, let's say I'm really good at bringing people together and kind of setting processes in place and sort of making sure that like there's a setup for growth. Maybe I'm the, let's say the entrepreneur per se, and then someone else is really good at, um, sort of creating the operations of something. Someone's really good at the finance. So it's kind of bringing those kind of people together when you know you're not good at something. Exactly. That's yeah. exactly it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And maybe the I, I, question is, what do you think is your strength uh, per se within the business? Hi, uh, I'd say two things. Uh, I'm incredibly resourceful. Um, I can just find things. If I need something bad enough, I will find it. I may not have the money for it, but you know, I can, I can, there's other ways to get your resources that don't need money. There's, there's, there's creative ways around the money problem. And the other thing that I, I think that I've learned, it certainly wasn't something I've always had is, is to listen, is to spend more time listening to what everybody's saying and, and working with, with with that. I think that's probably my two, the two main things that I think resourcefulness and, and, and listening. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. And this is one question that I love asking everyone that comes on the podcast. Let's say you're 22 years old. You just graduated from university, starting off a career. You want to have an impact in the climate change space, but you have no idea where to start, what to sort of go about. You put yourself in that position. Like what advice would you give to that him or her? Um, and why? For me, if I was dead set on becoming an entrepreneur, in my 20s, I would tell myself to spend more time discovering who I was and what 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 are my limits, things that I'm willing to do and what are my weaknesses. Just know who you are. And if you don't have that, if you don't have a really strong picture of who you were at that time, 
you're probably not going to do so well as an entrepreneur. That's not to say you can't change. I'm, as I said, I'm not the person I was when I was 20, but I definitely have a very strong view of who I am and what I'm capable of now. So I would say 22 years old, spend some time getting to know who you are. Yeah, yeah. Because I think, especially in in this in this new generation, there's like this idea of like entrepreneurship being really cool. So a lot of people that are not meant to be or can't handle the pressure of entrepreneurship, they get into it. And then a couple of years in, they're like completely drained out and they hate what they're doing, although they started off very passionate. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's a very good point. We romanticize entrepreneurship. We, you know, we look at the Jeff Bezos and the Elon Musk and the Richard Branson's and we, uh, the, all of the, the, the big success stories and think of how, you know, I could be next, you know, I could be the next Steve Jobs or, or whoever, but they, they, they don't realize that that's, that, that can take years, years and years, years of years of nothing. But really, Clino 2 uh, was, you know, we've been doing this 15 years, but we really only started to become a success in the last two, maybe three. So that's 12 years of like, holy crap, I think we're going to, you know, we're going to lose everything. I'm about to be divorced. I could lose my house. I, I'd have to go to the food bank because I can't afford to buy groceries. Uh, you know, I'm getting kicked out of my lease because I can't make I can't close a deal. I don't know what I'm doing. I can't find mentors. Investors won't touch me. You know, it's a slug of a job. But if you know who you are and you know what you're capable of and you know that you want to solve that problem, you'll find a way. You'll find a way. You just got to hang in there. And that's easy to say. It's hard to do. And if you don't mind me asking, um, in those darkest moments when you felt like this was kind of the, not the end, but you felt like there wasn't, that like you're kind of like running out of the runway, like, you know, um, what was your inner voice thing and how did you kind of deal with that? Because I think that's something that a lot of people might face in the future. So how oh. did you kind of get through that? You know, Yeah, I would say the problem hasn't been solved. Hmm. Nobody solved the problem. Nobody, nobody answered the question of what, what does the future of this industry look like? What are we doing with the carbon emissions? Nobody had an answer. Even in the, even like, you know, year 12, Still, there was nobody out there that seemed to have a very clear answer of what they were going to do with these smaller sources of greenhouse gas emissions. So whether it doesn't really matter, right, whether it's greenhouse gas emissions or, or whether you're trying to solve a problem with economics or whether you're trying to solve poverty or a water crisis or plastic pollution or whether you're trying to create a, a new vehicle or something, if the problem that out to to solve hasn't been solved, then that opportunity is still there. You just have to figure out how to get through that hard part. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I'm guessing final question would be the overall vision of clean O2. Um, if you had to like summarize it in like one line per se, like the long-term vision, but in this lifetime, what do you want to achieve with, with clean O2? Sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, clean O2 is a global brand uh, of, Microscale carbon capture and products derived from recycled carbon, um, and we're well on our way to 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 getting to that point. We've got uh, retail branches uh, lined up, including Safeway and Sobeys, Canadian Tire. Uh, we've got some avenues for retail opportunities in the in the U.S. So yeah, in in, in summer, you know, too is a is an international brand associated with microscale carbon capture. Amazing. And I'm guessing the vision would be to completely revolutionize the heating industry then? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's certainly where we're heading. Yeah. yeah. Long-term goal, you know, if you read the tea leaves, 
right? I think the heating industry is going to find itself. It'll still be multifaceted. There'll still be, you know, PV, solar thermal, ground source heat pumps, that sort of stuff. But I think the bulk of it will likely migrate into the, into hydrogen just because it's, it's an easy, it's an easy transition, right? You're still, you're still burning a fuel in an essence, right? But you're not producing any carbon. Yeah. The infrastructure is largely there. Just the appliance need to change. Yeah, it just seems from from my perspective, hydrogen just makes a lot more sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, but yeah, Jason, this was an incredible conversation. I learned so much myself. I just want to say thank you. First of all, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Secondly, we'd love if you could tell us where our listeners can find yourself and Clean O2 as well. Sure. Uh, yeah. Um, thanks for for having me, man. It's uh, it's always always fun to hang out with like minded people. Uh, we should. Keep in touch. I'd love to hear what you're up to, where you're going on your, on your journey. Uh, in terms of uh, uh, getting a hold of me, you can reach usually through our website, cleano2.ca. And, uh, uh, you know, if people have any questions uh, re- regarding what our activities are, if they, you know, want to become a part of Cleano2 or learn more, they can always send uh, send me an email at uh, jason at cleano2.ca. Amazing. Those are the best avenues. Amazing. So definitely uh, we'll link those in the description as well. But again, thank you so much, Jason. This was amazing. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to the Climate Changepreneurs podcast. Really, really hope you enjoyed that episode. Now, I personally always love hearing back from listeners, whether that's feedback or general comments. So feel free to connect uh, across with me on LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn at Devesh Tilokani, D-E-V-E-S-H-T-I-L-O-K-A-N-I. Please let me know if I can help out anyway, whether that's something as simple as connecting you across with a guest you're interested in connecting with or feedback or in any other way possible. Again, thank you so much for listening and keep killing it in your climate change journey.